0: Hey, next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show featuring 1984 gold medal winning men's figure skater Scott Hamilton. And thank you so much for your continued support. The show is currently ranked number three in the podcast magazine Hot 50 list. We've been number two in June and July. We're number three in August. We certainly appreciate your vote. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash Hot 50. You guys have been fantastic. This is your show, and you're certainly showing that by your votes. Thank you so very much. You all are fantastic. Enjoy this segment. Before we get started, I want to remind you again about our friends at the McLemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I were there again this year for our annual golf trip, and it was even better the second time around. Everything about the place is first class. Our accommodations were great. The practice facility is great. They've got a wonderful new Himalayas putting course. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig is outstanding food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online and see for yourself at themaclemore.com. The course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And one of our friends and recent guests and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Hanley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying such great things about the place by going online to themaclemore.com. I want to continue to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Fresh Clean Threads. Want 20% off the world's softest, comfiest, best-fitting men's clothes? Fresh Clean Threads has your back, your front, and your sides, with everything from tees, tanks, and henleys, to pullovers, polos, and hoodies. Great designer quality basics without paying ridiculous designer prices. Everyone deserves to look good and feel great. Confidence shouldn't cost a fortune. Go online to FreshCleanThreads.com today. Your perfect fit awaits. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Iron. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap back design and a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag for more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now joining me is Olympic gold medal figure skater Scott Hamilton. Let me give you some more background on Scott. He was born in Toledo, Ohio, and grew up in Bowling Green. He attended Bowling Green State University. In 1980, Scott finished third in the U.S. Figure Skating Championship, which earned him a spot on the U.S. Figure Skating Team. That year, he finished fifth in the Olympic Games. The following year, he won the World Figure Skating Championship and would never lose another amateur event. Scott won four consecutive U.S. Championships from 1981 to 1984 four consecutive world championships over that same time frame, and, of course, the gold medal at the 1984 Games. He turned pro in April of 84 and toured with the Ice Capades for two years, then created his own company, Scott Hamilton's American Tour, which would later become Stars on Ice. He would go on to perform there for 15 years before retiring in 2001. In 1990, Scott was inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. He has been an outstanding commentator for CBS, NBC, and Fox for many years. In 1996, he received two major awards, the first being the Babe Dedrick Zaharias Award for Overcoming Adversity from the United States Sports Academy, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. He was also awarded the Academy of Achievement Gold Plate Award. He's written three wonderful books, which we'll talk about as well. And I'm beyond thrilled to have Scott with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Wow. I mean, you said it all. We don't really need to do anything. Let's talk about golf. <laughs> he, just, he went through the whole thing. I mean, there's nothing left to say. Uh, but thanks for that amazing introduction. It's hard to believe that, um, you know, it's like I'm feeling older these days. So that's one thing. So I guess I, you know, it, it feels like, oh, okay, that I had time to do all that, <laughs> you know, but it just feels like a lot when you say it.
0: And speaking of older, you're five days short from your birthday. So happy birthday early.
1: I know. I'm excited. I get to, you know, start another trip around the sun, you know, God willing. Um, yeah, it's been uh, crazy. You know, just, uh, you, know, was, you know, I've had my, you know, what I call my unique hobby of collecting life threatening illness. And, and uh, you know, I, a little girl at a cancer center one time, you know, we were doing a, one of those Ryan T. Crest studio interviews. And she goes, what's your favorite song? And I just said, happy birthday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that's just the way it is.
0: Guys, let's let's so, start um, there, because I know you're doing a lot of work for cancer research. Talk about that.
1: Well, you know, I lost my mom when I was 18 years old, and that's way too young for a young man to lose their mom. I mean, you just need them in those, you know, those, those years, especially, and And she was the center of my universe. And, and I just, um, it's, I was devastated by her loss. It just, I never loved anyone like I loved her. And then to see her suffer and succumb just shattered me. So, um, I decided that I was going to raise money for cancer research. So, you know, we, whenever I could, you know, whether it's through ice shows, we did some things in my hometown of Bowling Green, Ohio, where we would do, um, you know, these fundraising shows for cancer and everybody loved my mom. So they'd all show up and. You know, we'd raise around $25,000. And then I won the Olympics, and we're at this hotel in uh, Sarajevo, and I'm standing there with, like, I'm Forrest Comp, You just have to realize that. I'm standing there with with uh, Rune Arledge and uh, Doug Wilson and Eric Hyden and Peter Carruthers, and I just looked at Rune Arledge, and I said, I've got two words for you. He goes, what's that? I go, Bowling Green. He goes, hey, what, you, <laughs> what, what do you mean? I go, I'm going to give my last amateur performance in Bowling Green, Ohio. And I'm going to raise money for cancer research. And I just thought maybe that'd be a fun thing for you guys to cover. Uh, And he goes, we'll be there. So they wrote a check uh, to to raise money for cancer. We sold out three shows and we raised $75,000 for cancer. I thought, okay, man, we just won the lottery. And then I did my first, what I call my first pro show, but I didn't really want to lose my amateur status by getting a check. So I did a show in Denver right after the Olympics to raise money for cancer and I didn't get a sanction. So I lost my amateur status. I figured that was a cleaner way to do it. And there I was able to raise $250,000 for cancer research. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, so, you know, we get into a professional life and, you know, everything just starts happening. And, and I was a huge proponent, you know, for any cancer cause and I get to stay involved. And then 20 years, Two months shy of 20 years of losing my mom, I'm diagnosed with cancer. And now I knew what it felt like to go through it. Now I knew all the things that I, I really wished I would have been able to find out that I didn't know that really would have helped me in my journey. And I just said, I, I, now I, I, I was a fundraiser. Now I need to be more of an activist. And so I just started filling in the blanks. You know, I, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. I kind of made it cool before Lance Armstrong and. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I looked it up on the internet and all I could find was medical journal papers, nothing that I could understand because there's 12 syllable words. And I thought, well, there's something that I need to figure out. So, uh, for five years, I was sort of the organ grinder's monkey and, uh, I just would raise money however I could from whoever I could. And we built a website called chemocare.com, which tells you everything you need to know about chemotherapy, every drug, how it's administered um, side effects, how to manage them all in eighth grade English and Spanish. And now with Google translating the language in the world. So now, you know, we're, we're able to serve patients in a really specific, powerful way where they're able to kind of own their information, understand exactly what they're about to endure. And in that way, you know, they're more prepared for it than just, you know, one step after another in the dark. And then, um, uh, and then I, I realized I wanted to quit after round three, which seemed kind of ridiculous because I was one five day round um from finishing my chemo. And uh I was like, Oh, why, what, what I, how do I, how do I, what, why would I quit? Why I'm so close. And I realized it was because the cancer was trying to talk me out of winning. And, um and I realized that if I had someone to talk to that was, Um, a cancer survivor, maybe they could have mentored me through my experience in a much better way. And I'd be able to, um, you know, just step in knowing exactly what was happening next. And so we decided to, um, build the fourth angel mentoring program, which basically, um, the first angel is your oncologist. Your second angel is your oncology nurse. Your third angel is your friends and family. What was missing was the fourth angel. And that's someone who's been there, done that. And so. Uh, we, we started the fourth angel and there's a little pushback at first because they didn't really understand what we're trying to accomplish. And now, um, it's remarkable. It's serving patients and caregivers and pediatric caregivers in a really powerful way. And it's just growing so fast. It's almost unmanageable. And, and then, you know, then came the last piece, which was research. So, um, after we did all of that and we funded a mountain of research at the Cleveland Clinic, I decided to take the CARES brand. Um, private and, you know, create a foundation around it. And now we are, um, funding only, um, treatment options, research to develop treatment options that treat the cancer and spare the patient harm. And so, um, it's all about immunotherapy, targeted therapy, the awareness of proton therapy and anything we can do to, um, impact the cancer precisely. That, that is what we want to do because right now the status quo, I feel, even though I'm here 25 years later because of chemotherapy, uh, the status quo is unacceptable. What we know about the human body and what we, um, can understand that our bodies created the cancer. Why can't we teach our bodies how to destroy it? And so, um, now everything we do is to fund the next miracle. Everything we do is to, um, advance the science and, um you know cares is an acronym it stands for the cancer alliance for research education survivorship and so the a is what we're really pounding on now because we realize that um you know if, if we can collaborate with other like-minded organizations um man we can really uh link arms and make a bigger difference faster and then you know that you don't have to do duplicate research you can coordinate things better and and so we're, we're really working hard to be a great citizen in the cancer community and, and to make uh, a huge and forever impact on, on cancer. Um, you know, just the way people are treated forever.
0: Fantastic stuff, Scott. And really, as I was doing the research on you, you've had a lot of challenges really since birth. And at one point, you got a diagnosis that you might only have a few months to live as a child. Talk about going all the way back to when you were a kid, all the challenges and obstacles you had to overcome then.
1: Well, it was sort of a boot camp for everything I was going to face later on. You know, it was, (laughs) you know, I stopped growing when I was four years old. Nobody really understood uh, why. Um, And so I started a four year, um, you know, tour from hospital to hospital to hospital. And, um, and it, uh, you know, first hospital was in my my backyard in Bowling Green, Ohio. And they basically said, we, we can't figure this thing out. We we know something's wrong. We just can't find it. And then um, we went to a bigger hospital. I joke with bigger doctors. And, and there they said, uh, there's something definitely wrong, but we can't identify it. Uh, you know, so that's year two. And then year three, we went up to Ann Arbor to the University of Michigan at Children's Hospital there. And, uh, they basically, you know, gave me a death sentence. They said, you know, the trajectory is not good. We anticipate six months. Um, and then, um, you know, it's like my mom was like, okay, (laughs) we're out of here. And so we went to the biggest hospital with the biggest doctors that was Boston Children's. And, and it was there that I had every symptom of a disease called schwachman Diamond syndrome. And Dr. Schwachman himself was going to look after me. And, and after about a year of being in and out of that hospital, the, uh, Dr. went sat my parents down and he said, you know, um, he has every symptom, but he doesn't have it. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, so I, my advice is for you to go home, uh, take him off all the restrictive diet and, uh, and, you know, um, just live and see if he outgrows this thing. Um, and in that, you know, I was able to go home, uh, um, start living more of a normal life. And, um, it was there that I found skating by accident. And then, um, in that I was able to be more active and exercise and, and, uh, for whatever reason, um, I had to fall away again. And I started feeling better and more active again. And, and it wasn't until 2004 that we figured out what was wrong with me for all those years.
0: And what was that?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I survived cancer. I did the whole thing and I figured I was going to get a medical pass. And, uh, <laughs> that, that, and seven years after my cancer, I was feeling symptomatic again. And so, uh, I, Went back to the Cleveland clinic for my annual fundraiser that I would do there. Uh, it was an amazing event. And, and I just told my doctor, I said, I, I'm feeling symptomatic and I don't really know what's going on. And, and, uh, you know, pretty much all of the symptoms that I described to him were basically I'm getting older, right? And probably, uh, you know, an after effect of the chemotherapy and we can treat you medically and we can do some things to shore you up. And it was like, no, <laughs> this is different than that and uh he he said what's going on i go my peripheral vision is like really blurry and he goes oh okay okay let's get you in for a head scan and uh they found i had a brain tumor and uh, i was in a really difficult place it was in my optic chasm and they were afraid to do anything uh to it because it was sort of um really perilously close to my um optic nerve and so um, they decided to do gamma knife radiation. Well first they had to biopsy it, and that's the whole point of the story is they went into the top of my head, they they said I I you know, we we found what we believe is a safe corridor. I'm <laughs> like, okay, I'm not using really any of my brain, so go have at it. And uh, you know, they said I could lose motor function, I could lose memory, I could lose speech, I could lose all these things if if the surgery didn't go well. And I woke up I knew who I was, where I was, why I was there. And I just leaned over and I went test. Oh, I can still speak. Okay. That's good. And, uh, the doctor came around and they go, we know what it is. Um, there's several ways of treating this thing, but we got to figure out the best way. And here's some information on your tumor. And, um, we'll, we'll, you know, gonna, we're going to collaborate on this. We're going to come up with the best plan to treat it. And, um, and then, uh, we're going to move forward. so my wife's reading, the information that came with this particular brain tumor. And she said, oh, listen to this. She goes, "Craniopharyngioma brain tumors are usually detected early in a child's life due to a lack of growth and development. So basically, wow. I was born with this brain tumor. And uh it was remarkable that, like, you know, when I take a step back. It's like every single amazing thing in my life happened because I had a brain tumor. And it's like, wow. And, you know, it came back six years later and they treated it with uh surgery, but the surgery didn't go very well. And so, um, you know, they had nine more surgeries that summer. I lost my right eye for a little while and then some of it came back and uh, you know, it just was one of those really rough summers and then six years later a pattern is emerging here. It came back again. And this time it was, um, you know, they were talking to me about surgery and they were talking to me about a medical option that would shrink it. And all I heard was blah, 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 blah. And all I, in my whole being, all I felt was this overwhelming urge, this kind of, this repetitive loop of just get strong. Don't worry about it. Just get strong. Don't worry about it. Just get strong. And I was like, I don't know what that meant. So I went, uh, they asked me and they go, do you want to do surgery or the medical option? I go, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get strong. And they go, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I <just> don't know. <laughs> but I had this overwhelming thing in my spirit. Just, you just need to get strong. You don't need to worry about this. Just get strong. And so I went home and I didn't know if it was physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. So I just chose E, all the above. Um, and, uh, it, it, it it's amazing because You know, I I showed you the pattern, right? 2004 to 2010, 2010 to 2016. Now we're in 2022 and the tumor has grown and it's shrunk and it's shrunk and it's grown and it's shrunk and and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown and it's shrunk. And so I haven't had to pull the trigger on any treatment options because it's sort of been sort of vacillating. It hasn't really gotten to a point where it's become a mischief maker. And so now, everything I do you know has been you know I, I really try to be aware that i I try to do something physically um you know active I try to do something emotionally healthy I try to do something intellectually interesting and learn and grow and I, and then, on the spiritual side, I' just i I just dove into my faith and you know I'm in a weekly Bible study, and I read the you know Bible cover to cover and i I'm fascinated with, you know, all these different uh spiritual leaders and and what they bring to the table as far as perspective. And it's been a remarkable journey. And it's just one I'm so grateful for, because, you know, in all the calamity, it awakened in me uh, a recognition of where all the best things come from. And that is, you know, from uh, Jesus, God and the spirit. You know, it's just amazing. Um, it's just amazing how I never thought that I would be that guy. And, and I am, I'm just totally madly in love with my faith. And, and, uh, it's, it's answered way more questions than it's posed, it seems. And, and I just got to dive in a little deeper for those questions to keep popping up. But, um, I highly recommend it <laughs> to anyone out there struggling. <laughs> it's like, get strong. Get strong physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. If you just do something every day that checks all four of those boxes, your life is going to be completely, um, oh my goodness, it's just going to be enhanced in really amazing ways. It's just remarkable.
0: Scott, I want to go back to a comment you made a little bit ago that you sort of stumbled on skating. How did you stumble upon it?
1: Well, it was just that um, my parents needed a morning off after my four year sort of adventure from hospital to hospital. I mean, hospital, children's hospitals back then aren't what they are today, weren't what, what they are today. There's no day bed. There's no entertainment choices. Basically, what my parents and what I dealt with was a bed in a very sterile environment and a chair in the corner. And my mom, who I, you know, I've already mentioned how much I adore her. You know, she would sleep in that chair as many nights as she possibly could so I wouldn't have to be alone in the hospital. And uh I mean, she was just a, a rock star. She was amazing. And it was just um uh unbelievable that, you know, that she was able to endure all of that. But, you know, after the four-year journey where Dr. Schwachman said, go home, live a normal life, they were shattered. I mean, they were really shattered, you know, financially. They were shattered um emotionally. They were shattered physically. And and they just really needed um a one day one morning off to just sort of sleep in and relax and our family physician came with an idea along with that intervention where he just said there's a brand new facility at Bowling Green State University and on Saturday mornings they open it up to the community and they teach children how to skate and um you know my he said, my kids are in it they they're thriving they love it and i think it would be a really good thing to give you guys uh, you know just four hours in the morning to sleep in we'll get into the rink you can go with his sister you can do whatever you want but just this is one way for you guys to recharge your batteries and so i went to the rink and I, here i am you know used to being around sick kids and now i'm around 120 well kids and it's like whoo! this is a party this is awesome <laughs> and i realized after you know a few weeks that um i could skate as well as the well kids and then i realized after a few more weeks that i could skate as well as the best athletes in my grade and I had my first taste of self-esteem you know it was just really powerful it's like I could do something I could I'm not you know the weak one I'm not the littlest one of my just the littlest one of my class I'm not just the last one for all the team sports and the playground I was you know I was kind of that kid and now I can do something as well or better than the best athletes in my grade I, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this. This is all I'm going to do from this day forward. And, and it's remarkable the journey that it took me on. It's just, you know, I, I became a skater and, and I had to learn how to overcome my weaknesses. I had to learn how to deal with failure. I had to learn how to, um, you know, just sort of find my lane. And, and I was really, you know, I really struggled in those first years because I, you know, lack of maturity and lack of understanding. Um, I just didn't get it. And, and then, um, you know, my, uh, I, my mom, you know, after coming in last at nationals, next to last at nationals, and beating two guys. Like my, my first year in the junior of nationals, my mom arrived, um, at the nationals and she was, she had her left breast and mostly inside of her left arm removed. And, um, she wearing a wig because the chemo it took all her hair and she had a big smile on her face the whole time. And I was like, are you okay? And she said, I'm great. And I go, is it the drug? And she said, no, <laughs> you skate, we got lots to talk about. And so I I went out and for whatever reason that year, I was kind of in a better position. I think it was my coach had really just cracked the whip on me. And, and I, I went out and I skated and I won the junior nationals. And what I didn't know was on the way to that national championship, my mom had um stopped in Chicago to change planes. And there was an introduction made where there was a couple who was very wealthy, didn't have any children and loved skating. And they offered to step in and pay for all of my training expenses. So I wouldn't have to quit because it was just too much on my family. And so I, I, I went up, you know, I, I, I won the lottery. I, that year was 1976 and I win the junior nationals and, um, the coach that, um, had helped arrange the sponsorship was well, that year was coaching a, a girl that named Dorothy Hamill to an Olympic gold medal. So I really had stepped into something amazing, but I, I lacked the maturity to really understand the gift. And I, I didn't even know it was first year in seniors. I was a total train wreck. I, I didn't even know how I made it to nationals that year. I was such a mess i was you know i was 18 i was distracted i was you know thinking about all the wrong things and i you know skating was sort of like there and i tried really hard but i i didn't know how to train i didn't understand a lot of things and and then you know i i went home after that nationals my mom watched me come in ninth you know out of 12 and it was embarrassing and and then we get home and she took a turn for the worst and I remember um being in a room until about three thirty in the morning with my brother and we went home to sleep and my brother in law at the time woke me up and all he said was, Your mother is gone and um and all I could think to say was I know and I was devastated and I just got up and I I went for a walk in our backyard. We was out in the country and we had a lot of room to move and and I I just didn't know how I was gonna be able to do this without her, how to do life without her and then that walk uh, it was a long one. I just decided that i could do i i i didn't have to do it without her i could I could do skating with her I could take her with me to the ice all the time and I could have her hold me accountable and I could try to become the young man and the skater that she always dreamed and what she incredibly sacrificed for me to become and i just i put my head down i just put, went to work and from that decision to take her with me to the ice every single day, you know, she saw me come in ninth at nationals. that very next year. I'm on the podium, ranked third in the country and then I'm 11th in the world and then two years later, I'm I'm in the Olympic Games. She always thought I was going to go to the Olympics. I'm like, based on what? I'm terrible. And, uh you know, I got to go to Lake Placid and I got elected to carry the flag in the opening ceremony, which was unbelievable and and then, um, you know, the third guy in a three-man team without any chance of meddling and I'm uh, carrying the flag in the opening ceremony. And it was because the other athletes wanted that flag bearer to represent the journey, not the destination. And um, they just felt like I uniquely um qualified for that. And, you know, with my childhood illness, losing my mom, all her financial issues and everything else, and kind of rising above all those horrible things that happened. And then And then, um, after that Olympic year, I woke up one morning and I realized that I'm ranked fifth in the world and the top three guys just retired from the sport. (laughs) And it's like, I'm ranked second in the world. It's like, okay, what do I need to do to come in first? And I, you know, I was always the loser guy and all of a sudden now I'm, I'm kind of doing well. And, and I realized that I had to fall in love with a part of the sport that I didn't like very much. And that was the compulsory figures. And I just. Put my head down, went to work, and starting in the end of October of 1980 until March of 1984, I, n- I never lost another competition. And and I mean, it's it, it's surreal that you know this kid that was coming in last all the time was able to sort of step into a a different way of thinking and training where everything was possible.
0: So Scott, I feel like we've just barely. Scratch the surface of all the great things that you've done in the course of your life. Unfortunately, we don't have much more time, but you've written three wonderful books. Talk about the inspiration to write those books and then how our listeners can go out and get a copy of them.
1: Well, I mean, I wrote the biography after um, cancer, and and that one almost doesn't count because, you know, life is so different now. Um, I wrote The Great Eight. Um, out of my, uh, experience with my brain tumor and just everything I learned that allowed me to step into that, that new season with, um, joy and confidence. And, and then I wrote, um, uh, I wrote, uh, finish first. Um, it's just a, a way for people to kind of understand, you know, kind of things that I had to learn in order to become the best version of myself on the ice and, and then, um, we wrote Pretty Finds a Hat, which is a children's book. Uh, there was a great team put that together. And, and that's, um, it's, it's kind of a story about my mom and, and, um, you know, how to talk to your children about cancer when it comes into your family. And it's a beautiful book. It's a great little story. Brad Paisley and his boys did all the hat, um, all the artwork for the hats in the book. And, and, uh, you know, all that money goes towards cancer research. So. We're really hoping that, you know, people will continue to um, look at Fritzy Finds a Hat as a resource and, and finish first as as another resource to kind of get off the couch and, and really get in touch with your the best version of yourself. And, and the Great Eight, you know, is another one where it's just about, you know, finding joy. You know, it's like the subtitle for the Great Eight is, is how to be happy even though you have every reason to be miserable. <laughs> you know, so. Um, you know, and then if, you know, I am really hoping that, you know, people get involved with cares, you know, just, um, uh, scottcares.org. And we have a 1984 campaign where people can pledge $19.84 a month and support our work, um, to, to really just fund research and change, uh, the way people are treated for cancer forever. There, there's so much right there that needs to be, um, governed. And it's right there. We know it. I mean, we know it. And um I even heard a research scientist say the other day that using this form of immunotherapy and advancing it and developing it will cure, we used the C word cure, multiple myeloma in 10 years. And it's just remarkable that that's the season we're stepping into, but we have to fund the research in order to make that happen. So scottcares.org, I'm hoping people will join us, join the 1984 campaign and and uh, help us reach our goals to save lives. So um, keep families together and extend lives and the quality of lives.
0: I can't let you go without saying hello to our mutual friend, Mike Whalen. Mike's been a guest on this show. And for those who don't know, Mike is the guy who got the Golf Channel off the ground back in the early to mid-90s. He created all the shows, hired all the people. He's going through his own cancer battle right now, which he is detailing daily out there on Twitter. I know you and Mike have yeah. been friends for a long time as well.
1: Oh, I adore Mike. And, you know, he's been through it once and now he's going through it again. And, um, you know, he needs every bit of support and strength that, you know, all of us can give him. And and it's it's a it's a difficult battle. I mean, it, it shakes us down to our core, down to our essence. You know, it's um, our bodies betrayed us and it's hard to imagine that. But, you know, the, the amount of cancer that's out there now, it's just. It, it it's it's heart wrenching especially to see someone we love like Mike go through it the way he's going through it now again i I adore the man i always have i always will as as you you know anybody that's ever met Mike but you know just knows his heart and his talent and and you know just who he is and and uh you know if I could just ask everybody out there to just say a little prayer for Mike and strength and storm and Uh, for the cancer to just miraculously disappear from his body. Um, That would be amazing. Yes, it would.
0: Scott, thank you so much for being generous with your time tonight. Like I say, I know we've only scratched the surface. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime soon.
1: I hope so. Great talking to you today, Chris.
0: Thanks, Scott. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll look forward to catching up with you soon.
1: All right. God bless.
0: See you, Scott. That is the great Scott Hamilton, folks. It, boy, it just doesn't get much better than what you just heard and the inspiration and the things that Scott's been through and, and the optimism and, uh, the wonderful life experiences that he's had on top of the, the really tough ones. And, um, I know we didn't get to talk on, an awful lot about his skating career. There's a whole lot more to get back into with that, but I thought that. The stories and the things that he has had to experience from the time, as you heard from the time he was a baby, folks, Um struggles, barriers, things that like you heard uh, people telling him he only had six months to live at one point, uh, broke through all of that to achieve and get to the summit, right? 1984 gold medalist and now giving back and still battling uh with the tumor in his brain. So and a special hello to Mike Wayland. I know Mike's listening tonight. Thank you, Mike, for having Scott come and share his stories on the show. We're all praying and right there with you, too, my friend.